Welcome to Life to the Full, a message to Christians. This is a podcast about the abundant life that God promises in Scripture. We want to inspire those who are frustrated with themselves and their communities to live a transformed life that will impact the world. Our primary purpose is to be a platform that will impact the world through conversation. We want to invite others to connect and unite in curiosity, vulnerability, and responsibility. A transformed life is about growth, learning, and evolving. A transformed life leads to transformed communities, and transformed communities impact the world. One conversation at a time. Welcome back, guys. We finish our path and pattern series part one two and three so we're very happy babe i'm very proud of you and very proud of us we are in our 14th episode can you believe this what (laughs) i have to say though i feel like i feel like we just kind of even just scratched the surface with the path and the pattern yeah i feel like we could have gone on the rest of the summer the rest of our lives few more years excuse all the noise guys he's currently taking off the sandals getting comfy testing all the patience that i have left over the struggle is real but there is a struggle we are um praying and we're we're actually staying in attention of what the next series is going to be so Babe, I see a whole bunch of notes. They're not type. I didn't receive an email. I didn't get an airdrop. I just see a whole bunch of yellow pages happening in front of me. Yes. We did have a quote-unquote theme from our meeting. We do. But I don't know where you went with it. Yeah. And that's usually how it rolls. <laughs> so, you know, I, I've definitely been doing a lot of writing lately for, for work. Uh, definitely kind of... Felt a little sidetracked with the podcast project. I feel like there are so many places I want to go. And I think I'm trying to figure out the best way to approach things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think that can be the hardest because I think sometimes when I think I'm being subtle, <laughs> it's, um, you know, I'm like throwing a, a hand grenade into a living room mm-hmm. being like hey guys I just have to say something yeah you know and uh, I think sometimes the way of me being subtle in these in these situations is kicking through a door setting a house on fire uh, metaphorically of course please don't report me to the authorities <laughs> um, so I'm just trying to figure it out because okay. uh, I know that trust is the most important thing yeah uh, in our summer of increasing our vulnerability, uh, you know, we've c- kind of decided to camp out on trust. Um, but to me, it kind of feels like it's one of it's one of the the most important issues that nobody's nobody cares about. Or no one maybe is talking about it. Nobody's talking about it, mm-hmm. and I kind of feel that even you know talking to different people who you know are responsible for different people, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's large group, small group big ministry, small ministry, it doesn't really seem to be like on anyone's radar. Mm. People are very busy studying out 
uh, what they're going to be talking about in uh, their church services, uh, what books they're going to be reading. And I kind of feel like no, this isn't really on anyone's radar, mm-hmm. you know, so sometimes I, I kind of wonder of the relevance of this all to people. Like, is this really helping people? Mm-hmm. Please send us a comment. Please give us a rating and review. <laughs> I know you guys are out there. I see our stats on Simplecast. I, I know you're there. Um, would love to get some of you guys more in our roundtables yes. and just to actually uh, get some interaction with our listeners and been brainstorming different ways to, to do that. Uh, even getting in my car and just driving around the world. <laughs> Or this nation. Yeah. And the virtual, the virtual, the round tables are, we had set them up for the last Friday of every month. And they're already up in White Superstars Facebook page where you could go to events and just sign up for the Zoom. Let us know. Chat with us. We really want to know. Yeah. So here's the thing. If we came to your ministry, if we came to your small group, the first thing that we would be dealing with is trust. Mm-hmm. I know that's not popular. I know a lot of people don't think that's an issue. Not us. Maybe those other churches. Maybe that other small group. Not mine. We all trust each other. Uh, I know that was a, even a big thing here in New York. Um, back when our church went through a crisis in um, around 2000. Circa 2003. Mm-hmm. Um, I was recently hanging out with a few people who were born, I think, 1999. I was like, what? Who was born in 1999? <laughs> I'm sure there are people possibly even listening to this that were born in 2003. So, yeah, there's that. Ooh, what were we staying talking about? in attention, honey. Staying in attention. So, okay. You're talking about So if we, came, if we came to your church, if we came to your ministry, if we spent a weekend, we spent a week, mm-hmm. um, that it would be the first thing that we'd be tackling. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you like it or not, there's always a trust issue. There's always a vulnerability issue mm-hmm. to be solved. Mm-hmm. You either trying to build it, you're trying to maintain it, or you're trying to heal it. Mm-hmm. Right? There's, there's, and if you're if you're not focused on it, it probably means you have a bigger problem than than you know, because it really should be something that's on the forefront of your leadership crew. Or if you're just the only leader on your mind, how do I how do I build this? How do I keep this? How do I maintain it? Um, so I feel like there are ways that we would do it, that we would identify it, that I've identified it in the past, and uh, in our own home ministry and other groups that we've met along our journeys, that I feel like when we talk about it and come across like, you guys all suck. <laughs> Which is not how I mean it. Mm-hmm. I think... Our family of churches can be obsessed with doing things. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, it's all about do, 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 do. Okay, I get it. I think some people even buy into it. They're like, yeah, I get it. Trust. You know, we have a trust issue. Okay, what are we going to do? And it's like, well, that's part of the problem. Mm -hmm. First thing we got to do is kind of nothing. And just take a second and pause just stop I'm 
currently in, in a point where I'm trying to, I'm just trying to frame this in a way that I feel like it's more digestible for people. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like, you know, the church does has no shortage of critics. What do you mean by that? So I mean, like, if you're looking for people who are critical of churches or of the church in general, even our particular fellowship, you don't have to go very far. Like, even our personal family of fellowship, there are websites out there that are dedicated to, like, just, you know, ripping on the church. Like, mm-hmm. the church is terrible. The, chur- the church ruined my life. Mm-hmm. The church ruined my marriage. The church stole my youth. The church, 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 church. Mm-hmm. Um you know, and some of these things are p- things people are still angry about from 20, 40 years ago. And some of them are, are current. Like, you know, people are leaving and they're starting YouTube channels. Yeah. And it's like, you know, it's, it's all about bashing the church. Yeah. And it's like, you know, so, I mean, I get it. I understand that people have been hurt. Um, I feel like we've all been hurt in different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me... Um, I, th- I feel like I've been in a place and I can easily go to a place where I can get very like um, I've been a victim. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been hurt. Uh, you did this to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I don't want to feel stuck. Mm-hmm. I feel like that just makes you feel stuck. Mm-hmm. What, even when you're right. Yeah, you're, you're right. Some, some bad things might have happened to you. Some bad things did happen to me. Um, but just kind of totally constantly rehashing that. It just leaves you in the same place, mm-hmm. you know, so I don't want to do that. So right. I'm trying to figure out how can I help a church, um, you know, grow mm-hmm. and prioritizing trust mm-hmm. and being vulnerable and just keeping that environment and maintaining that environment. How can I help them see that as their number one thing? So that that's kind of where I am. So I've been doing some research, been reading a bunch of books so um, two books that are on my radar, um, I, don't, I don't totally agree with a lot of their conclusions, um, but they're, they're from a research group. There's two research groups out there that kind of study uh, Christians and Christianity. Is that what they fully focus on? Um, so they don't, f- one of them does, yeah, it's called the, the Pew Research Center, P-E-W, like a pew in a church, mm-hmm. right? They pretty much exclusively focus on Christianity. And the other one is called the Barnard Group. And uh, they do, they're very heavily focused on church and Christianity, but they also, they're legit, like just research firm in its own right. Like they'll do things for businesses. They'll do things for politicians. Very cool. So they're not just like church, 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 but they publish like lots of stuff, uh, lots of documents. And they sort of recently, I think it was recently, published two books. Mm-hmm. One is called unchristian like lowercase un christian and the subtitle is what a generation really thinks about christianity and why it matters mm-hmm. and the other book is called you lost me hmm. why young christians are leaving church and rethinking faith so i thought the research in those books were were really really good um i do feel like they sometimes draw conclusions this, this is the barnard group mm-hmm. I feel like sometimes I do draw conclusions that I'm not like fully aligned with in my own thinking. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're wrong. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm just still like not convinced. Uh, so one of the conclusions that that they've drawn, or one of the things that they're coming from, is that there is an older segment of Christians 
there's a more traditional way of doing Christianity that young people, uh, you know, like even though like we're in our forties, we would be classified as young people mm-hmm. have kind of like moved away from, like we've rejected it. And there's some, there seems to be some type of disconnect where the older generations of Christians have so much to offer the younger generation, but the younger generation is walking away from it. And so the book is trying to do, both books are really trying to connect that and say, okay, there are some legitimate complaints here from the younger generation of Christians that we need to take seriously. Mm-hmm. But we also need to know that they, they need us. Mm-hmm. You know, they need we need to try and bring them back. Um, so that I'm not entirely convinced of. I do feel like there is some rethinking that we need to do of church, mm-hmm. some restructuring that we need to do of churches. I, and I don't mean that we need to re we need to invent a religion uh, <laughs> right. f- for the millennials or whatever they are mm-hmm. now, right? Um, my my question sometimes is really like, has to, was there ever really a Christian church in America? That's kind of where I'm at, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm personally on my own journey trying to figure that out. Like you know, like even like, has there been a church in the past fifteen hundred years? Like you know, like. Um, I'm sure there has been, you know, feel free to engage me. I would, you know, NT Wright, if you're listening, I feel like we need to sit down and have some coffee. Or a beer. (laughs) Or beer, you know, or tea, since you're English. (laughs) And, um, you know, just to understand, sometimes I feel like it gets very confusing um, how to fix all of this. Because I feel like in some cases, it is people not communicating they're not hearing each other. Like someone's saying one thing and then they're hearing something else, you know, and, and vice versa. So I feel like there are groups of people who, do, who don't know how to hear each other anymore. But at the same token, I think we have this idea that what we do in church today is what was done 2000 years ago in the first century church. And I, I don't think that's true. And I think we need some real careful thinking and reflection of what are we going to build, right? We're here. It's up to us, you know, like talking about the five acts. You know, here we are in the fifth act that we talked about, I believe it was last week. Um, The five act view of the Bible. Here we are in the fifth act. We're in the age of the church. What does that mean? What are we building? You know, and I think like as, as we build... Right. If you can imagine a building even 100 years old, 200 years old, you you tend to add a lot of stuff. You know, like I used to work not all the time, but I was there every now and then in a building that was very, very old in Manhattan. And it was just odd. You'd be you'd be like walking down a hallway and there'd be a whole bunch of pipes that nobody knew what they did. And then around those pipes, there was like a door that used to be a room that no one knows what it was for, but now it's someone's office. And there's a door that doesn't go anywhere that's been locked. Nobody has a key for it. And it's just like, because over time, you just add things to buildings without really thinking, okay, what's the best use of this space? Instead of taking things out or rethinking the space, we tend to just add. Hmm. Does that make sense? That's a good analogy. And I think sometimes with our our churches, we, we, we do the same thing. Right. Um, when something doesn't work. Right. So like, you know, in our in our own 
in our own family of churches, I think when different uh, sin or like um, different failings of people like crop up, mm-hmm. like maybe it's purity, maybe it's homosexuality, maybe it's it's different different thing challenges people are facing, mm-hmm. or racism, or racism, mm-hmm. we can tend to create create things mm-hmm. or groups, but we don't we don't take anything away. You know, like if there's a if there's some type of purity issue in a church, that purity issue most likely comes from something, mm-hmm. right? You know, like uh, what type of environment are we setting up that encourages people to live double lives? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, why is it easier for somebody to lie about you know masturbation, lie about you know having sex outside of marriage, versus like actually like you know being open with that stuff? Mm-hmm. And you know what are they fearing? What are, what are they fearing? Mm-hmm. Like you know why 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 are we getting it to that point? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, what do the scriptures teach? Like wh- how are we really supposed to conduct our lives? Like you know we just kind of add these ministries, and you know to me it's always been funny because in my own lifetime I see it happening, where these different like ministries like there's a ministry for people who struggle with drugs and alcohol. There's a ministry for people who struggle. With masturbation, there's a ministry for people who struggle with homosexuality, and we build these ministries, mm-hmm. these separate things that are like it's like infrastructure in a mm-hmm. government, right? It it's it tends to bog things down and slow things down, and it kind of like almost takes the place for authentic Christian community, yeah. where it's like you know, it, like it says in in one of Paul's letters, it's like a form of godliness, but denying its power. Mm-hmm. Like there is a power. There's a restorative, healing, yes. life, life-altering, world-altering power in basic Christianity that's not so basic. It's... Or in the power <laughs> of your free will yeah. and your ability to choose. Yeah. And the euangelion, the, the good news of Jesus, you know, is powerful enough yep. without adding to it yep. anything. It doesn't need anything else. Yep. To me, the challenge is dealing with the dealing with these issues with a microphone and you guys aren't here with us. Mm. Uh, I would love to, to visit your ministry. I would yes. love to get a chance to sit down. Um, Cause I feel like there are things that would come out in five minutes mm-hmm. that, you know, I, I can't tell cause we're not sitting down. We're not having a conversation. Yeah. And um, I, by far am not claiming to be an expert or a guru in this thing where I can go and solve everyone's problems mm-hmm. um but I, I i do feel like you know the bible god and you know just the spirit and you know jesus there there are some guideposts and there are some real ways to bring healing restoration and you know bringing back that nature of trust that environment of trust that i think has been lost in many churches so yes I think we have a huge problem. I think um, it's seen differently in different churches. I think in, in our church, um, we tend to be a very young church. Uh, we tend to have, you know, we have teens that grow up in our church that tend to become Christians in their college years. College years, we, we lose a lot, you know, and the ones that we don't lose... They don't necessarily transfer into what I would call thriving Christians. Maybe I should just go through the research. Yeah, let's hear it. So, okay. So, 
the Pew Research Center. Pew, pew, pew. That's, that's always what I want to do when I hear it's a, that. one of the TikToks, pew, right? Pew, pew, pew. Pew, pew, pew. <laughs> Hold up. Wait a minute. It's some research. All right. So the Pew Research Center, uh, in an article in October 2019, uh, they had done an earlier study in 2009, which they kind of like just wanted to get like a state of Christianity in America. Okay. Right. So, and they, they found that there seemed to be some type of increasing trend of what they called the nuns. Spell that. Not the N-U-N-S, <laughs> like the flying nun, right? Like, you know, in the full headdress, whatever you call it, right? Not, not in a convent, but the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, which basically means people who aren't affiliated with any religion. Mm. Um, some of them... Feel like they have a sense of spirituality, but they're they're not religious. It's that kind of distinction between oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual, mm-hmm. um, or like just not associated with any religion, right? These are your atheists, which I was I was one of these. I was one of these nuns, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. <laughs> Agnostic. That was most of the people I grew up with. Most of my friends uh, from you know before I was a Christian in this tradition. I would classify them as agnostic. Or hey, I'm sorry, can you define? Agnostic is basically, listen, there's, there's probably something, or there might be something, but I don't know what it is. I don't think anyone knows what it is. Um, it's never made itself known to us. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christ- all religions are equally useless. Mm-hmm. They're all trying to approach the same thing. Uh, you can't really find truth in any of them. Yeah. Why can't we all just get along? Yeah, it's yeah. kind of just like, I don't know. Yeah. And nobody knows. So don't talk to me about it. Okay. That's the way I would describe it. Or nothing in particular. Like, they're just not associated with any religion. Religion has no place in their lives. Okay. So, 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christian as of 2019, which is just a year ago. Um, and that's down 12% over 10 years. So in 10 years, dropped 12 points. So that's a significant drop. Even though it's like, oh, wow, more than half. That doesn't seem that bad. There seems to be a tendency downwards, which has alarmed some Christian researchers. Sorry, what, what was the percentage on the nun again? The nuns are at 26% oh, okay. as of 2019, okay. up from 17% in 2009. Up, so it's increased. So it's up. So it was, it was hovering around 17%. Mm-hmm. Now it's up by 26%. So it's almost... Up by, you know, 10 points. By 9 points, really. Protestants have decreased from 51% to 43% from 2009 to 2019. And Catholics, which I found this a little fascinating, are only down by 3%. So they went from 23% in 2009 to 20%. I just thought that was really interesting because I feel like the Catholic Church has been uh, affected by a lot of, like, sex scandals. Yeah. During those those years, mm-hmm. and it didn't seem to affect them as much as like I feel like the Protestant, which you know we would broadly be characterized into Protestant as well, mm-hmm. uh, you know, are down, you know, almost ten percent, you know. So it just yeah. seemed to be very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So. That, and this is uh, which research from which company? Pew. Pew. Oh, pew, 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 pew. pew. Gotcha. Yeah. And I, I could link the article. I still have it saved. Yeah. Um, so, and that kind of correlates 
with the research that they did in the two books, Unchristian and uh, You Lost Me. Okay. Kind of talking about why more and more young people are kind of either transitioning out of the faith or don't want anything to do with the faith. Mm-hmm. Whether you know a lot and a lot of the people who were studied uh, grew up in a church, so they broadly categorized those people into three groups. They call them prodigals, nomads, and exiles. Mm. So, prodigals are like the prodigal son, right? <laughs> Even though that name kind of really isn't in the scriptures. But the son who ran away from home and mm-hmm. is just like, you know, like they were once religious, they were once connected to a church, and now they're just, they're not. They're not living like a Christian. Then you have nomads. Uh, nomads are a little different. Actually, can I just bring up the research? Yeah, of course. Is that okay? So there's a really cool um, graphic that they made uh, for this article. Uh, that kind of goes with the book. Wow, the spiritually homeless youth. Yeah, so one of the things I love about the Barner group, even though I don't, again, agree with all their conclusions, mm-hmm. um, and that just might be something I'm going to evolve with over time, is that I love the way they frame their research. Like, they really care deeply mm-hmm. about understanding uh, what God wants from them mm-hmm. as Christians. And uh, they're young people. They deeply care about them. Um, and it's, it's funny because I feel like they're more connected with churches. I know some people from that, like, you know, they're, they're older, you know, they're in their late sixties, mm. late seventies. And, uh, you know, I've had conversations with them, you know, we come from church traditions that are different, but have been, or have been broadly connected over time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I've always felt nothing but like love and care from them. And just curiosity, mm. like they they wanted to really get to know me, yeah. um, which is you know because I think I would broadly classify them as conservative Christians, mm-hmm. and I feel like lately conservative conservative Christianity has gotten a bad rep in the media as being like racist mm-hmm. and bigoted and intolerant yeah. and just like small minded, you know like oh they they believe they don't believe in evolution they don't believe in science. Uh, we believe in <laughs> yeah, Libre for life, um, and that—that's never been my experience with them. Oh. You know, despite what I might occasionally see on Facebook, like when I sit down with them, I always have felt respected. Mm-hmm. I've always felt uh, engaged in a spirit of love, mm-hmm. curiosity, uh, even more so than always sitting down with people my own age in my own tradition. Yeah. So it—that you know, I find that very interesting. But so anyway, they have here the spiritually homeless youth. Mm. Today, there is a 43% drop off in church engagement between the teen and early adult years. This represents 8 million 20 somethings who were once active churchgoers, but who no longer, who will no longer be participating, engaged in a church by their 30th birthday. Mm. Who are these 8 million young adults? What characterizes their exit from the church? How do they feel about Christianity in general? Here is a profile of these spiritually homeless millennials. Wow. So I think this is a little dated. Uh, I think, you know, some millennials, I think, are uh, in their 40s <laughs> at this point. Um, of the 18 to 29-year-old Americans with Christian backgrounds, 59% dropped out of attending church after going regularly. 50% have been significantly frustrated by faith. 57% are less active in church today compared when they were 15, 
38% went through a period when they significantly significantly doubted their faith. That was a big percentage. Yeah. Wow. Which it's funny because the percent of you know doubting their faith, mm-hmm. I, I would love to see a, a Christianity that has room for that. I think doubting your faith is. It's wrestling. I think it's very healthy. Yeah. I, I think it's it's something that you should never mm-hmm. not be doing. Right. I don't know how we got to a place Those where. Those are the times I've I've learned so much more about myself. Yeah, I feel like we're so obsessed with clarity. Everything mm-hmm. the scriptures are so clear. The scriptures are so simple. Anyone can sit down with a Bible and like know like what they need to do, and it's just that's that was never. I don't think that was ever the point. Mm-hmm. I think these things were always meant to be wrestled with. They were always meant to be, you know, like dealt with. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they speak into every generation. Deal with me, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. And I think that's been the best parts of my spiritual journey have been like when I actually wrestle with stuff. Yeah, not when things are easy. But yeah. any place. Anyway, telling God I don't know, He will make it clear. You know, <laughs> negations acknowledge. Yeah, <laughs> He will affirm them. Yeah, and so then here are the nomads. The nomads are eighteen to twenty-nine year olds. Again, a little bit dated. I think they're more like in their thirties and forties now, uh, with a Christian background who have walked away from church engagement, yet still consider themselves Christians. Some characteristics of nomads include, uh, and here I guess there are their breakdowns in ages, 43% think going to church or being with Christian friends is optional. Mm-hmm. So they're like, church, friends are great, I have other friends, I don't have to be part of any church to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. Right? 25% say that faith and religion just aren't that important to them right now. So it's like, you know, yeah, you know, like, it was in the past. I'm sure it will be in the future right what now. Ifs. What was that? What ifs. <laughs> what ifs. Yeah, I thought you said something else. I was like, Patricia Kelly. No, right. 23% say you say they used to be very involved in their church, but don't fit there anymore. Hmm. And, you know, having worked with teens in our church in the past, I feel like that's a lot of people mm-hmm. that I know and love. Mm-hmm. That, you know, like, they used to be very involved, and now they're just, We've lost them. You've lost me. Mm-hmm. Prodigals. Prodigals are 18 to 29 year olds who have a Christian background, but have lost their faith, describing themselves as no longer Christian. Some characteristics of prodigals include 20% say they had a negative experience in church or with Christians. Um, and I've seen some video interviews they've done with people. Um, it actually kind of gave me an idea of Maybe we can get some of our friends who, you know, have walked away. You know, I think we have, we know some people who are nomads. We know some people who are prodigals and just getting their thoughts, mm-hmm. you know, I think that would be really valuable for people to kind of hear their story. Like, you know, why they're no longer here or why they're like, I'm, I'm not Christian anymore. Mm-hmm. 21% say Christian beliefs just don't make sense to them. They don't, they don't get it, you know. And 19% say their spiritual needs cannot be met by Christianity, which I think is really interesting. What makes that interesting? Because how can Christ, how can Christianity not be meeting their spiritual needs? You know? I think sometimes we, we can hear these things and we can think it's a them problem. Mm-hmm. And I think it's an us problem. 
You think so, or you believe that? Um, I th- I'm currently trying to figure it out, <laughs> but my suspicion is it's yes, it's absolutely your problem. Yeah, I think a lot of times when people walk away from the faith, we can we can make it about them. They didn't want to repent of something. They didn't want to listen. They're being rebellious. They're being rebellious. And I think, you know, a lot of people are walking away with their God. They're walking away with God, their faith. They have no problem with God. They have problems with you. They have problems with the church. And I think that's something that the church needs to own. Mm -hmm. And the church needs to recognize. And I I, I don't think that means we need to invent a Christianity that everyone can have fun at. You know, but I do think we, we need to rethink. I think when Jesus came into the world, Jesus healed. Mm-hmm. Jesus brought people together. Mm-hmm. He brought together heaven and earth, and he brought together different people groups. Mm-hmm. When Jesus sent the people out into the world, right, the disciples and the apostles, they went out into the, the world and they, they, they healed. Mm-hmm. They brought people together. Mm-hmm. All of Paul's letters, when you really read them, when you really understand them, I should say, because people read them without understanding them, is all about, you guys got to figure this out. We got to stay together. Yeah. Um, N.T. Wright, uh, something I, I recently listened to, was asked if Paul was here, if Paul stepped into a time machine <laughs> uh, and suddenly appeared here on Earth in 2020, uh, what would he be the most surprised about? And N.T. Wright said, and I'm going to paraphrase it here, he would be shocked. He would be shocked. (laughs) That was good. (laughs) (laughs) He would be like shocked that we're so disunified Hmm. and even more upset that nobody seemed to care. Hmm. And he would be like, wait, wait, wait. Mm -hmm. How many different varieties of Christianity? You call them what? Denomin what? I mean, I, I guess we'd ha- we'd be speaking to him in Greek, right? Or so we, whatever language he spoke. Um, I'm just assuming he'd speak English. But he'd be like, what? What is going on? Why does no one care that the body of Christ is so fractured? What, what, what's wrong with you people? Mm-hmm. And he'd be writing letters or probably on Twitter being like, you, need, you guys need to get your act together. Uh, what's going on? I think you'll be in Instagram. You think he'd be on Instagram? More positive people on Instagram? I don't know. Paul Paul could throw some shade. Paul could throw some shade. All right, Twitter then. Maybe even Facebook. I think Peter would be on TikTok. (laughs) (laughs) Making videos. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so I think, so here we have our prodigals. So you will say that Paul will be very frustrated. He'd be so frustrated. He'd be mm-hmm. like, "What are you guys doing?" Mm-hmm. No. Yeah. No. You cannot. You can't. Yeah. Because that's all it was about. Was yeah. and I think churches. And we'll be like, "What?" But you said all these rules. Uh, they were never intended as rules. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, especially with Paul, we're missing half of the conversation. Yes. You really need to learn how to really appreciate those letters. For what they are. And full disclosure, I had at least a decade where I was just like, I was done with Paul. I didn't understand Paul. Yes, you mentioned that. And I had to go episode. go through, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know if you, you know anything about 
some of even the founding fathers of our country, but a lot of them the same. They were like, Paul is trash. He needs to be taken out. Since we're talking about Paul, what's the, I know we mentioned you were talking to somebody about the book that helped you. Yeah, Paul, a biography. Link it. Yeah, that's a, that's a great book to help, it helped me really understand and get my head more around Paul. Mm-hmm. And I also took a free class. Um, oh, in edX, right? On edX. I saw that. Uh, a while back, and uh, <laughs> and that, ladies and gentlemen, is Spanky. Or is it, it is. Alfie? It's Spanky. I can't tell. Is it? Does he have the? Um... <laughs> there are two cats in our household upstairs. Um, Jimmy's mom has two cats, and, and he's really they, they don't like when my mom leave, <laughs> and then they come and they complain to us like we can like human servants bring her back. <laughs> She's not permitted to leave the household. It's Alfie. All right. So, babe, you were talking about the book. We'll link it in the Yeah, we'll link it in the book. But the whole point of that is that Mm -hmm. I think when you look at Jesus as the fulfillment of Israel's story, him entering the world and the healing and the unity and the hope that he brought. And then you look at the example from the first century church. And they had their struggles. They had their issues. But by and large, they were able to get their act together, they were able to stay together, and they brought healing, hope, and truth to nations. And somewhere along the line, we lost it. Hmm. And I think a lot of churches, unfortunately, they do more harm than good. A lot of churches, the best things they could do for their communities is to shut their doors forever. Hmm. And I mean that as somebody who loves the church. Mm-hmm. And somebody who who loves my church family and I have some of the closest relationships in my life from this church. And I think a lot of you would do much better to shut your doors until you figure out what your real purpose is here on earth. Because I think there's too much of hitting each other over the head of the Bible. Mm -hmm. But the Bible says this. No, the Bible says this. No, the Bible says this. Mm -hmm. And, you know about what we're preaching on a Sunday versus actually going in and doing good into the nations. I think the church has always been about healing. It's always been about medicine, about tending to those who can't uh, afford or, you know, have access to good medicine. It's always been about healing, regardless of miracles. It's The church has a long history of going in and caring for the sick and the wounded. Yeah. Um, the church has a long history of education because I think from its very first days, you had a Gentile audience who was like, Abraham, what? Mm-hmm. Huh? Moses, who? Mm-hmm. What? That needed to be taught. Yeah. So the church has always been about education and it's always been about caring for the poor and those that are less, the, the disenfranchised, not just like the poor, meaning like they don't have money, right? but like different social classes that don't have a voice speaking up for those that don't have a voice, for those that have been disenfranchised, for those who are being repressed for whatever whatever reason. The church has a long history of speaking into those areas Mm -hmm. and providing healing, leadership, and unity. And I just, I don't see it. You know, I I don't see, I see a bunch of power-hungry people grabbing at power, wanting to keep their power, wanting to keep um, their status, and, and tell people what to do. And, mm-hmm. you know, repeat after me, you're not allowed anymore to tell people what to do. 
You're just not. If God gives us a free will, how dare we yep. not do the same? Yep. You're just not allowed to do that anymore. What are you allowed to do? You're allowed to listen. You're allowed to listen and you're allowed to feel. You're allowed yeah. to feel with people. You're allowed to cry with people. Mm-hmm. And you're allowed, you're allowed to speak to people what you would do. Mm-hmm. And then you need to let them go and make their own decisions. Absolutely. And if they go and they make a bad decision, you need to love them. Yeah. Because when we don't do that, we're enabling them that power. Mm-hmm. That power to choose. And it's just and too much learn. of running around saying who's in the kingdom, who's out of the kingdom, who's going to heaven, who's going to hell. And we've lost our basic mission of just love. Yeah. Spreading love and unity into the world. But anyway, so we have the prodigals saying their spiritual need cannot be met. In Christianity. And then we have the final group, the exiles. The exiles are 18 to 29 year olds, again, a little dated, who have a Christian background and are still invested in their Christian faith, but feel stuck or lost between culture and the church. Some characteristics of exiles include 38% say they want to find a way to follow Jesus that connects with the world they live in. So they don't want a separation of church and state. (laughs) They don't want to feel like there's a Sunday Mm. way of doing things and then there's real life, right? Mm. They want want integration. Mm. They want their spirituality, they want their Christianity to be every part of their lives, right? 33% say that God is more at work outside the church than inside, and they want to be a part of that, right? I have some research on that as well. You know, they they want to, they feel like the most life-changing things that are happening in the world are not church initiatives. That like It's like almost like the church is getting better despite the church than because of it. Mm-hmm. And they, how can we be more a part of that? Yeah. You know, uh, I, you know, as much as I love the idea of supporting other churches in different places... You know, I think I, I can get sick to death of the idea of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars going to plant churches because I think in the West we have this idea that we need to save the rest of the world, mm. right? By going to Africa and teaching them how to be human beings. Mm. Listen, they know how to be great human beings. Mm-hmm. They're, they are great yeah, civilizations. They're in tune with Earth. And yeah. It's like, us. oh, these poor kids are, they don't, they're, they're at school outside in the sun. <laughs> and we put them in buildings without vitamin D and without all the fresh air they get from being outside. And yeah. I mean, you know, that's not a fully thought out thought, but I, I think, you know, I think the point is. There's a lot of good happening outside the church. And I think a lot of that good happens despite the church. Yeah. That spirit moves. Yeah. And I look at all the money even my own home church spends other places in the world. Well, there, there are people struggling in my own community. Yeah. And because I've written a check to people that I'm never going to see, to people I'm never going to know, I can somehow feel that I'm I'm making a difference in the world. And I think young people are sick of that. They're like, no. No, there's racism in my community. Mm-hmm. There's sickness, disease, and death where I live. Mm-hmm. And I want to be a part of the change that I want to see in the world. Right? Who's that quote from? Was one of your favorite quotes? Yeah. 
I always I always want to say Patty Kinde because I feel like that's your quote. But yeah, really, my maiden name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, your maiden Patricia Kelly Kindecito. Um, yes, thirty-two percent say they want to be a Christian without separating themselves from the world around them. They they long for churches that are fully engaged in their communities. Now, I would add a fourth group, and I would call them post-exiles. Okay. (laughs) Because this is kind of like the idea of Christians in Babylon, Mm. right? They they take the idea of Daniel, Esther, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, you know, in Babylon, surrounded by this pagan world, and they want to be able to engage with Babylon and affect Babylon and enrich Babylon through their own faith, their own relationship mm-hmm. with God, which I get that. But I think we're dealing with another group that's not covered in this study, and I call them the post-exiles. Okay, tell me more. So post-exiles, they have returned to the land. They're rebuilding the land okay. after being set free, but something is missing. God does not seem to have returned with them in back from the exile, right? God left with them when they went into exile, and he didn't remember the whole Yeah, yeah, you mentioned image. this in the last episode. Yep, Ezekiel, all that. Um, but he, he hasn't returned to them. So even though they eventually rebuild the temple, they rebuild Jerusalem, it seems like something's missing. Mm-hmm. Like the spirit of God just isn't there. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that resonates with me because I feel like I know a lot of people who used to be super active in our church, super excited about being Christians, and then they grew up, now they have families, and it's like they're just checked out. You know, they're not they maybe go to a small group, but you know, like they're not really active anymore in their faith. They're not telling people about Christianity anymore the way they used to. They're not repenting of things they're not talking about things it's just they're kind of just there they're just like taking up space it's like it's almost like they're not brave enough to leave like you know like they don't feel necessary to leave but they're not necessarily engaged anymore and the church has kind of like left them behind you say that's where you relate yeah totally i feel like that you know i think i that's the way i was you know for for many years i think i was just like here but not here Mm kind of just checked out uh, sitting in the back and then you know, I decided to do something I decided to step up and try and help my church and start talking about some of the things I was thinking and feeling and all that stuff so yeah I would add the post-exiles they're back they're in church they're there but they're not there something is missing and they know it mm-hmm. they're not happy mm-hmm. they're not unhappy enough to leave or they're not unhappy enough to leave but they're not engaged anymore they're for all intensive purposes spiritually dead with the additional one that you just yep okay well that's really good and this is the this is the barnar group group. i don't know hope i'm saying that barna yeah barna group barna group yep i wanted to kind of counterpoint this you know so i feel like the research shows from the barna group and the pew research pew 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 (laughs) that Christianity is basically on decline. It's been on decline for many, many years, and it's only projected to get worse. Where, you know, like, 
increasing amount of people just don't have any room in their lives for religion. And those that stay, you know, are more and more not engaged, right? So that's kind of like where we are with the church. Now, a lot of people hate progressives. Um, there's a funny uh, TED Talk that I want to link to. Um, two other great books. Uh, th- these are currently on my reading list. I've, I've skimmed them online. I can't wait to get my hands on them. Is The Blank Slate, An Enlightenment Now by Steven Pinkler. He's kind of like an enlightenment and progress researcher. And so, do you know anything about progress? I don't think so. Maybe that's why I didn't find it funny when you played it for me. Progress is the idea that the world is getting progressively better. Over time, the world tends to get better. And they feel that through science and reason, the collective well-being of humanity can be lifted up. Does that make sense? Well, yeah, that's the definition of progress, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it is. So I thought you meant that that was an actual, like, group it was oh okay. so from like the time oh, the time of the enlightenment ah, doing the renaissance got it. right <laughs> got uh there was a group of philosophers uh who felt like they were very excited by the things they were learning in science what, because they believe in, in science, science. <laughs> now these people also believed in god you mm-hmm. know and they, they kind of felt like through science and reason they could literally recreate the Garden of Eden. Now, okay. most progressive thinkers have like backed away from that. They feel like problems will always be with us. Mm-hmm. Um, but problems are an opportunity to find solutions. And those mm-hmm. solutions will inevitably... Although the first entrepreneurs. Yeah. And, and though, <laughs> of, although those solutions will inevitably produce more problems, they, again, there are more opportunities to solve those problems. And they kind of believe in the capacity of the human race, science and reason to solve a lot of those problems. So that's progressivism. So that's kind of always kind of bumped up against Christianity and it's bumped up against Christianity for the last 200 years or so uh, where like, you know, like most Christians will laugh at progress because they'll be like, oh yeah, you thought the world was going to get better. What about World War One and World War Two? What about the Holocaust? What about this earthquake that killed all these people? How can the world be getting better? Um, so, but different studies that, that have been done over the years have kind of shown that the world is actually objectively getting better and better. I wanted to go over some of those. Okay. Does that sound good? Sounds good. All right. So economic progress. So since 1987, extreme poverty has been on the decline. So extreme poverty is like people who live off of like a dollar ninety a day, and that's all they have to live. Huh. Um, yeah, so that's like fallen. In some countries, it, it doesn't exist anymore. In some parts of the world, and um, you know, really, in South South Asia and Sub-Saharan Africa, there are still pockets, but that's like overall on a decline. So the world is not as poor 
as it used to be. And, you know, if this trend continues, extreme poverty is on track to be eradicated. Hunger is falling. Um, this map shows changes in, to the global hunger index. Hunger is on decline. Child labor is on decline. People in developed countries have more leisure time. The share of income spent on food has plummeted in the U.S. Life expectancy is rising. So in the 1700s, the most the average life expectancy was about 30, mid-30s. So we would, we would be dead already. <laughs> uh, but now, like if you live in Europe or the United States of America, you can expect to live, your average life expect, expectancy is like the 80s. Got it. My grandma is 93. She is. Mm-hmm. But we we attribute her long life to her Coronas that she drinks, <laughs> her wine, no. and her dancing. Corona, dancing, and laughing. Yes. Those are her top three. Yeah, that's what she says is keeping her alive. We just don't know. <laughs> it's her attitude about life. Child mortality is down. So that means if you're born... You're more likely to survive than you were even like 100 years ago. Even like 10 years ago. 1990? How how long ago was 1990? 30 years ago? Death in childbirth is rarer. People have been getting taller for centuries. (laughs) That's interesting. That's very interesting. And that is so true. I don't know how many times we've been in situations where we're like looking up to people that look up to us. It's true. Or even if you go, if you get a chance to even walk around Manhattan and you go to like an old building okay. that hasn't been like completely gutted and renovated, yeah, yeah, yeah. you'll notice that door frames are yes. typically like narrower yeah. and lower because people on average used to be shorter. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yep. Teen births in the U.S. are down. So less and less teens are having babies. Smoking is down too. Yep. Finally. We banned all those... Dumb commercials. Yep. Peace and security in the long term. Homicide rates have fallen dramatically. This is basically the safest point in history. In the short term, they're down in the U.S. too. So from 1960, they're down in the U.S. Basically, um, and I'm going to link some great videos to this. There seems to be an overall trend that we live in the safest most economically rich, uh, more food than we've ever known what to do with, point in history of the entire world. Yet the news, <laughs> if you listen to the news, uh, mm. like that one Onion uh, fake news article we saw, CNN meets every Monday to decide what Americans should panic about for the day. Um, there seems to be... Uh, if you listen to the media, the idea that everything is going terrible. Right. You know, every, we're a few weeks away from everything being over. Yeah. You know, where the the objective facts seem to point that there are many things that are better. Many diseases have been eradicated from the face of the earth, like smallpox is basically gone. Um, and, you know... What does that really mean? It it does seem does it mean that things will just get naturally better over time? No. It seems to indicate that there are actually the there are active people working out there that are trying to change things and trying to make things better. And as those people work 
and progress, progress is being made, and the world is becoming fundamentally a better place. Um, But that doesn't, there seems to be a disconnect between people's perceptions and what the world is. And so my biggest question is, why is it that Christianity seems to be on a decline and individual lives of Christians seem to be getting worse, where the world seems to actually be getting better? That's a great question. And that's something that I think we need to take a step back and look at and we need to like, you know, really ask ourselves, why is that? Mm-hmm. What happened? The church should be leading the way on these things. Mm-hmm. You know, the church should be leading the way on cleaning the oceans. Mm-hmm. The church should be leading the way on climate change. Mm-hmm. The church should be leading the way on racism. Yeah. You know, I don't know how it is for a lot of you guys listening, but for me, I, I never heard about race and racism from my church until there were there were riots in the street and there were buildings being destroyed and there were mass protests over the the killing of George Floyd. Never heard anything. And all of a sudden, there's a whole page now on our website about social justice. Like we've been talking about it all along. We haven't been talking about it all all along. We haven't been leading the way. We've actually been criticizing and discipling people to be like Jesus. And the sad reality is the history of the church in America is intimately intertwined with racism. Oh, yes. They're... We the church has produced the church as a whole, not necessarily my tradition, has produced racist documents. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, if you follow our church back long enough, you will find people who own slaves. Yeah. Um, but that's not a reality that we're talking about. Yeah. The church is not leading the way in these areas. It's being left largely to other people. Yeah. You know, um, I think it is in a sense, and I think it's becoming more so common now, I think there are people who they identify more with the nomads or they identify more with the exiles, right? Where they're, they have, they have a Christian faith, but they're not tied to any church. You know, they're, they're doing God's work, but not in God's house. Mm. And what is that? Why? Why is that happening? Mm Mm-hmm. I joined this church because I wanted to make a difference. And I thought I had found a group of people who wanted to make a difference too. I was sick to death of broken relationships, broken families, and a broken world. And I personally wanted to help Jesus and advance that cause forward with God and help make this earth a better place. I feel like somewhere along the line we lost that. And we became about the Sermon of the Week we, can't, we became about baptisms and growth. We became about, okay, who's going to heaven? Who's going to hell? We became about rules, 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 doing, doing, doing. What can I tell people to do today? Versus how are we actively making the earth, the world, a better place? The new humanity. The new humanity, yes. In the spirit of building trust, Mm -hmm. in the spirit of building vulnerability. Mm -hmm. Increasing. Increasing vulnerability. But I also think you have to, you can't just like increase vulnerability because 
that's the new buzzword, mm. right? Remember, like, when Seven Habits first came out? I mean, we weren't alive. But, like, <laughs> you know, like, from what I was told, everyone was about synergy. Everyone was uh, about, like, you know, paradigm shift. And, <laughs> you know, like, then a whole new generation of people had to grow up and write more books because we totally missed the point. Hmm. Seven Habits of Highly Effective People of Highly Effective People is a life-changing book. Yes. But when things become buzzwords, they don't they don't help because it's not about vulnerability. Because vulnerability will make us grow. Yay! It's about creating an environment where vulnerability can thrive. Amen. So this is why I don't want you guys to do anything. Stop doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Stop what you're doing. Stop all your initiatives. I said before, I think a lot of churches would do better if they closed their doors doors for good. If you're hearing this and you're, you're with me, you're with us, close your doors metaphorically. Mm-hmm. Stop all your initiatives. Stop whatever it is you're studying out. And let's create space to really look at the problem. Look at where we are. Look at who we are. And look at some of the reasons why people are saying that they've They've left the church. Mm-hmm. They've left their church, but they still consider themselves to have great and powerful relationships with God. They still consider themselves to be Christians, but not tied to any church. Next week, we'll be returning and we're going to be looking at some of the reasons why people have said they have either left the church but still feel like they have a connection with God. They have no problem with God. They just have a problem with you. They have a problem with the church. Uh, Or why some people stay in churches, but they become uh, very inactive in their churches. They're there, but they're not really there. So we're going to be looking at the exiles and the post-exiles. Yeah, I love that. There are a couple now... I will say two specific uh, regional leader uh, women who have been battling with the millennials. Yes. And this is going to be such an interesting project. And as you said, let's close the doors metaphorically. Close the doors metaphorically. Let's stop all the things we're doing and let's take a step back. Yes. And let's create space so that we can talk about how we're going to be rebuilding trust, how we're going to be creating an environment where vulnerability can thrive. Why, you know, I think we've already covered to death why that's important. I hope, you know, you guys understand it from everything we've talked about and just really like slow down and just be like, how are we going to take care of and continue to take care of our number one thing, which is building, maintaining, healing and restoring trust and vulnerability.